Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Your Booked, a Shelf Isolation Special. Before I introduce this week's guest, Claire McIntosh, I would like to ask podcast listeners to support some important causes if you're able to do so. In the show notes, we'll include links for the Minnesota Freedom Fund, Stop Hate UK and Rachel Cargill's Great Unlearned Project. This is obviously a tiny fraction of the organisations we need to support who are doing vital work in the wake of George Floyd's death. I've started reading Leila F. Saad's book, Mean White Supremacy, How to Recognise Your Privilege, Combat Racism and Change the World, and I'll include a link to that too. Thank you. Now today we're shelf-isolating with the prolific Claire McIntosh, author of several brilliant books from her debut, I Let You Go, to After the End, her latest book. Now Claire is as passionate about reading as she is about writing. We talked about the book she broke into a house for, literary misadventures in Paris, and her surprise career as a librarian. So you are finding that you're sort of gravitating towards the things that are a bit like these times. Yeah, a little bit, although I'm I, I'm doing what I always do, which is needing a palate cleanse between sort of difficult or stressful or heavy books. And so I'm flitting madly between um, completely psychotic thrillers um to uh, you know a, a jilly cooper or a, a katie ford or something so my my reading tastes which have always been eclectic are even more eclectic now so these are all books that would be surprised to find themselves sat next to each other at a dinner party and yet <laughs> they are sat yeah they are and you know so i keep my so i all my books are in front of me i've got a whole wall of uh, shelves floor to ceiling shelves and they're filed alphabetically because that's I just have to have things in some kind of order but what I love about alphabetical filing is that um, completely inappropriate authors are next to each other whereas I think if I was was designing a bookshelf by the way it looked it would probably end up with much more suitable bedfellows but I rather like the fact that um, authors are cheek by jowl with people that probably they would never sit around a table with. So what are you reading at the moment? Can I tell, I'm just going to look at my, 
my reading book to tell you, I started writing, um, keeping a journal of reading books. So every year I have um, one of these blue notebooks, A5 blue notebooks, which are really, really cheap and not beautiful at all. But I used to use them in the police and I really missed them. So I use them now for my reading journals. And um, I star things that I loved. And so I can tell you that um, the last book that I read that completely blew me away was my dark Vanessa. Oh, I, have you read it? Yes. Yes. Tell me about it. I actually, so it's been on my radar to, to read for ages. And actually I had, I think I was sent a copy quite early on. And then my neighbor said we, we were messaging about um, how to, whether we had any yeast or flour, which is pretty much what my conversations with my neighbors have been recently. And um, he said that he was reading it and I thought, oh, brilliant, I'll, I'll do that. And I was gardening a lot at the time. So I downloaded it on audiobook. And I just spent three full days in the garden listening to my dark Vanessa. And every now and again, I just have to sink back on my heels from my reader, from my weeding and just listen to, to her voice because the narrator is outstanding. She's so skilled. Do you know at... who it is? Is it um, an actor that we know or just someone who's reading out the book I really well? I could not tell you. Um, it is an actor who doesn't normally do audiobooks because at the end she gave a really brilliant interview about the process of doing an audiobook and and inhabiting that character and being both ages which must have been a real challenge but i just thought it was so brilliantly written uncomfortable to to listen to 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 read as a story but so important because i imagine because i read it in the traditional paper way and that was intense, but to have that story, that voice in your ears, I imagine that adds yeah. a whole extra sort of dimension of intensity and claustrophobia to it. Oh, I think so completely. I The, the last time I felt like that about an audiobook was Jodie Piku's uh, Small Great Things. I'm looking to make sure I've got the title right. Small Great Things, which is the one about the racist parents in a maternity unit have you read this um where the parents refused to be uh, looked after by a black nurse and it's got some um incredibly uncomfortable language in it and of course when you're listening to that and having that language and those terms in your ear it it is properly shocking but that's why she wrote the book you know that that it, it needs to be shocking for it to have the impact that it should have mm. you know I remember J.D. Pico being a writer that I sort of had a lot of preconceptions about and then actually reading her I had all of those preconceptions kind of turned on their head her sort of that writing a really really arresting social commentary but also finding humanity in every single person no matter what their views are or how abhorrent they are yeah I think I think she's really skilled I, I read a spark of light um, recently and I listened to her talk at a, a bookshop in um, in the UK last year and she's so brilliant um, and, and so uh, passionate about the issues that she's writing about but I think she's she's particularly skilled in making you sympathize with the, the baddies in, in essence you know the, the people who are doing terrible things of getting you under their skin which is a, a real skill as a writer 
Something I was wondering is in in these times, are there any characters from books that you think would be great fun to be looked down with? And is there anyone you've met in the book who you think would be hellish to be looked down in? Because um, you mentioned Jilly Cooper. I was thinking about, um, I don't think one of the romances, Imogen and the couple who they go on holiday with them, James and Imogen. And I think Yvonne from Imogen would be one of my top three worst lockdown nightmares. Worst lockdowns. I think my, um, so interestingly, there, there is someone from a Jilly Cooper who I would happily be locked down with. Um, a slightly unusual choice, perhaps, but Taggy, Campbell Black, so Rupert's second wife, because I've always adored her anyway, and she's so utterly lovely. Um, I seem to remember she, yes, yes, completely. She, she bakes. Um, she cooks brilliantly. She could homeschool my kids in a way that I am failing spectacularly. So, you know, maybe not huge fun, although I think she is quite fun, but just a lovely person to be locked down with. But people I would hate, um, Pollyanna. Oh, um, Because much as I love, and I really do love Pollyanna, can you just imagine how irritating it would be to have that endless positivity you know, the, the, the kind of, we've got no loo roll. Oh, but aren't we blessed to have a working bowel? I just, I couldn't, I would not be able, I'd kill her, I think. So she's, she's my anti-lockdown heroine. Oh, I found myself getting into a fight with someone on Twitter the other day because of Cousin Helen. And they were talking about how insufferable Cousin Helen is from what Katie did. And I felt quite like, but I think, you know, she's quite steely. I think she'd have the fortitude for this that a lot of us don't. But also, yes, sometimes you want someone who's going to make the best of things. And sometimes you want someone to say, well, no, no, this is awful. Yeah, I think I think it's smugness that's hard to take. Uh, it's, you know, positivity is one thing, but uh, insufferable smugness is is difficult when someone talks about a smug character in a book i always think about Peter from diary of a nobody who's smug but very insecure in that smugness but i think he'd lose it pretty quickly i think you know yes, in the first week definitely. he'd be coming unraveled i was like what was the first book that you remember reading that made you think oh this is reading and it's just for me and this isn't a parent or teacher or someone giving me this it's an un it's an unusual choice i've never come across anybody who loved these books the way that I loved them. Uh, I've got one here, even though I know we're a podcast, um, because I want to think that you're walking around my my house looking at, at my books. Um, so this is um, one of my old copies of Just William. And I, I was trying to remember how I discovered Just William, um, but it was a passion that started when I was probably about 10 and didn't come from... It certainly didn't come from school. I don't think my parents knew. I, I don't really know, but um, I bought one and absolutely loved them. And then my pocket money for just months was spent on building up the whole series. And I took them to university with me. I started collecting uh, old ones that I found in, in shops. Um, and I just love, I think it came down to the characterization. So I had... I suppose previously to that, like a lot of my peers, I'd read a lot of Famous Fives. And again, it, the, the, the Famous Five are just a little bit too, they're a bit smug. Mm. A bit perfect. A bit 2D, um, aren't they? You can't really tell the difference between you're either a girl or a girl who's a bit boyish and that's okay, or a dog. 
Yes, yes, completely. And in in Just William, Rich McCrompton has created such well-rounded characters, the adults and the kids, and, and they're so cleverly plotted because the the adults are having their own stories that you sort of dip in and out of from William's perspective. Um, and they're just brilliant. They're funny and they're fast paced and they're, they're really, really tight stories. Um, and I adore them. Um, but nobody else I know really has had such an obsession with them or, or continues to read them as an adult. I was just going to ask that. Do you read them still? Do you Because I love yeah. the idea that you took them to university as maybe something when you would need comfort of They're, yeah so these these are my comfort reads these are my um literary equivalents of the heinz tomato soup that i have when i'm feeling a bit meh um and yeah i, I read them read them now have them in all sorts of different formats have the audio stories uh they're just they're just brilliant. That edition that you just showed me, which I'll describe to the listeners, this being a podcast, it's a beautiful hardback and it still has a dust jacket and it looks like an original. Is that a first edition? And is that one that you've had for a while? This particular one, I've got two um, that are quite similar. This one was a gift. Um, my parents gave me this on my 18th birthday and it had a um, hundred pounds within its pages in 10 pound notes um sort of you know slipped in oh i've just found postcards in it i thought you were going um, to say you found another tenner. pages i thought i know i thought i was going to find a 10 pound note but i haven't i've just found two two very old photographs but i i've got no idea who they're of this one's of a lady with her dog sitting uh, by a beach somewhere and this this one is rather inexplicably just of a uh, a German Shepherd dog. <laughs> but I don't think I don't think they're mine. I think they belonged within the pages of this book. Anyway, so it was an 18th birthday present um, that was uh, originally three and six. It cost, uh, and it's a second edition. Clearly, I wasn't worth the first edition. <laughs> Are there any books where, either for yourself or as a present, you've either splashed out on a first edition or gone and thought oh it'd be so lovely to get them a first edition and be like oh it's um, hundred thousand pounds I might not do you know I never have no I, I never have um I love secondhand books but I'm not I'm not interested in the value of them or or the cachet um I, I like the feel of them I like I like them if they're a bit tatty and if they smell a bit and if they're slightly mildewed. Um, I've got a book actually over there that I stole. In fact, I'm going to get it because I haven't looked at it for ages. Hang on. I say stole. I didn't really stole. I rescued it. I rescued it from a, um, a house that had been abandoned um, and we climbed in through a broken window and it was completely empty and sort of derelict and there was a pile of very very mildewy books um on the on the floor was this sorry um, to interrupt was this when you were uh with the police was this uh no 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 no. I was a child oh. I was <laughs> I, no I wouldn't have stolen books as a police officer I, I thought maybe you'd no, gone I... in to check the, the abandoned house and the books were there and they were you know is that all the evidence locker <laughs> No, so I would have been about 15, I think. 
and and there are i've got maybe four or five from that stash anyway this this particular one which is the first one i've picked up is um a a guidebook called a traveler in rome by hv morton and it's got lovely maps on the inside so the um uh, the end papers have just got really beautiful um illustrated maps um and i don't think i had a particular interest in in rome but it was just very lovely and it was it was rotting and so i you know i i like that i like to uh make sure that books are looked after and given a home um and i've kept a lot of old books that i was given or that um you know were in the family home and i felt perhaps needed to be loved a bit more they've ended up with me so you have a sort of it's a book sanctuary <laughs> A book, yes, a home for retired books, yes. Some of them are very tatty. I'd love to do a, um, uh, a maybe a book binding course or learn how to repair. I've got this lovely book, um, this Lear, Edward Lear book of nonsense poems, but look, the spine is all tatty and, um, and falling off. I don't know when that dates from. So it's got an, um, an inscription M.M. Melder or Meldum, it's not a family name, uh, Christmas 1932, that was given to them. And then I have written in my seven-year-old hand my own name, together with my little pink angel stamp that I inexplicably put in all my books. Uh, but it's very tatty, um, but very brilliant and full of lots of poems like The Pobble Who Has No Toes, who swam across the Bristol Channel. It's such a beautiful addition these covers are something really evocative you get that sense of books as as tactile objects and sort of lovely to have as well as lovely for what's inside them yes they are I particularly love those books um, I don't know what the the technical term for it is but the ones that are covered in something that feels like fabric um, the, is it board? They board covers? Anyway, those are lovely. I wanted to ask you about your little library, which I've just been reading about. Tell us <laughs> all about it and how it started. I mean, so lots of people do this is the first thing to say. This is not not something sort of special. Um, I have a lot of books. I do like to keep books, but I also like to share books and pass them on. And I am very passionate about uh, championing the accessibility of books, both in terms of the sorts of books that I talk about, but also in terms of physical access to books. And libraries are brilliant, as we know, and I'm very lucky that we have a really good local authority library in the town where I live. But they actually are sometimes still intimidating for people. Uh, you know, you have to walk in, you have to get a library card, you, you you worry about whether you'll be judged about what you're taking out or how long it's going to take you to read it. There are lots of, of worries um, related to, to formal spaces like that. And so I had, uh, I wanted to put a library box um, at the end of my drive. And we had uh, a friend building a treehouse in the garden at the time. And I said, have you got any wood that you can spare? and I'll try and knock up a box. He said, Le leave it with me. And he built me what is what looks like a fairy house. It's um, much bigger than I had uh, intended. And it lives at the end of my drive. Um, and I called it the secret library. And I put books in it. Um, I put proofs that I'm sent that I keep for about a year until after the book has come out. So, you know, the, the publication day. And then several months after that, I might put the proof in the box. 
um, and some books that I love and have multiple copies of and feel I could let go. Um, and then, of course, people in the community will share their books. And it, it's a book swap box. It, um, it's not complicated. And since lockdown, it's been used so much more than usual. So the turnover is really high. New books um, borrowed all the time. And uh, I noticed that some children's books were appearing. We've not normally had children's books because there isn't that much room. But that was a great thing to think that children were starting to use it as well during lockdown, obviously as part of their uh, daily exercise. Uh, and a local teacher said, uh, would you like me to build you an extension? And so he built me a children's department, which sits underneath my secret library. Um, and now we have we have children uh, children's books there as well, and the children's section is carpeted. Um, you know, it's it's a cupboard. It's just your hand that's going in, but it it just feels like a, a children's classroom. It's lovely. Are there any books that you have donated to the little library and then thought, oh no, hold on, I'd quite like that back actually. That's a brilliant question. Not me, but my son. Um, so my none of my children like giving their books away. But my son in particular, he's 13 and a voracious reader and would really like to keep all his books. I had a bit of a clear out. This actually was, was ages ago before lockdown. I had a bit of a clear out and put some sort of older kids books out. Um, and he was not very pleased at all. So, yeah, he, he doesn't want to get rid of any of his books. What were the books? Can you remember that were that he was keen to get back or did he just want no. them to be a completed no because because that's the thing is it's not for him it's not about the individual titles it's just the sense that they're his books and they they make up a part of his history you know that they are the the books that that built him um and yeah he he struggles to let go of them Whereas I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more relaxed, actually. I, I do keep the books that I love, but I also am I'm happy. You know, I, I will lend books out knowing that some people might not give them back because I think, well, they still exist. You know, the stories still exist. I can borrow those books again. I can buy those books again. I don't know if I've got much more relaxed about it. If someone borrows a book and they forget to give it back or they lend it to someone else, it's just a, it's a nice way of making space for for a new book and also that now there are so many more ways to listen and if I get really really desperate there are a number of times I've been writing something wanted to refer to a book I know I've got the book as I have a physical copy of it and I either can't find it or I can find it but not the bit I'm after and so I also get the Kindle so I can go and search. Yes, and I, I've had a couple of books that I've really enjoyed that I have um, listened to on audio at the same time as reading the book because my schedule at the time meant that I was doing a lot of driving um, and so I would drive to wherever I was going and listen to the audiobook and then that evening when I was in my hotel room or wherever I, I'd pick up the paperback and, and carry on reading it and I, I, I quite like that sort of movement between formats. I think, yeah, it's a different kind of intimacy, isn't it? I've never done that, but that makes me want to. To It's a different way of having a conversation because I think reading always feels like a conversation of sorts. Yeah, it, it does. And in the same way that you move a conversation, you know, from the phone to uh, to the pub or whatever. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's, it's fine to flit between formats. I remember being on holiday when I was reading um, Life After Life and I dropped it in the swimming pool it, and it was absolutely irretrievably damaged 
Uh, and so I bought it on Kindle instantly and within half an hour was reading the rest of it on, on my phone because I was so distraught that I hadn't been able to finish this book on, on holiday. So the flexibility and the accessibility now is just phenomenal. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We'll be back to Claire soon, but I'd like to recommend a book that feels appropriate to this moment. The Good Immigrant, edited by podcast guest Nikesh Shukla, is an essay collection in which 21 different writers reflect on experiencing racism, cultural othering, and what it means to make a home in a place where you encounter prejudiced people who make you feel as though you don't belong. This is one of the most thought-provoking books I've ever read. It's funny, it's shocking, it's heartbreaking, moving and infuriating. It reminds me that I have plenty of work to do and that I want to live in a world where everyone can move freely, speak freely and write freely. The Good Immigrant is published by Unbound. Now, back to Claire. I wanted to ask you, talking about children's books, whether there are any books that you have read to your children, that your children have discovered, that you wish, in a way, you could have perhaps gone back and read those when you were their age. Gosh, I mean, loads, really loads. I read recently Asher and the Spirit Bird and it's absolutely brilliant and I read it twice because I wanted to read it with, um, I can't remember, oh, Jasbinda Bilan. Um, I read it on my own first of all and then I wanted to read it to my children to see what it's like because again it's a different conversation um, and I read, so I read it then with my daughter and she loved it just as much as I did and I think Books like that one in particular, which is really rich in terms of, of culture, is so important to introduce children to different worlds. Whereas I look back at the books that I read, you know, again, the, the famous five, the even the the um, Just William, the what have I got that I oh my um one of my absolute favourites was Swallows and Amazons as, as a child. They were all very, very middle class, very white middle class bubble safe lovely children um 
and the books that I'm reading now with my kids and that they're reading are so much broader in terms of, of the, the worlds that they're exploring and the, the demographics, the people, the issues. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I think what you were saying about accessibility and that's, you know, it's often a physical thing, isn't it, with, with libraries, but also I think that if you don't do or if you perhaps come to it later, it can be very daunting at first to think, oh, gosh, I'm reading about a world that's completely different from my own and completely outside my own. And if you, the earlier you start doing that, the more general enthusiasm for reading you have and the more comfortable you are traversing all of those spaces. Yes, definitely. And I suspect actually that here is somewhere that television has worked really well because children's TV programmes are much broader now in, in scope and, and children are seeing their own worlds on TV in a way that they, they wouldn't have done 10, 15 years ago. Um, and that's then making it much more comfortable for kids to explore those worlds in in book form because they're used to seeing those those pictures and those characters. I think that's a really good point. Are there any books that you love that you would love to see adapted for the screen, either film or TV? I, I find that sort of thing really hard because I don't watch huge amounts of TV and I actively often avoid adaptations. I'm actually I'm going to watch um, normal 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 people I'm going to watch normal people um but only because I haven't read the book yet and I have a feeling I might not so I'm just going to watch it whereas normally I try and avoid adaptations because I just don't think they're ever very good one of the one of the odd exceptions being Bridget Jones which I hated in book form and love so much on screen and just think it is I just think it's better. I think it's better. I find diary format really hard to read in, in, in any novel, actually. It's a device that's used quite a lot. Um, and I just find it very stilted and difficult to get into the, the narrative. So, yeah, it worked, worked better on TV. But no, there's nothing that I'm really kind of hanging out for. I'd, I'd always rather have the book. What do you think was different about... Um book Bridget and screen Bridget was it sort of her character or Jet or her world that you no it it, it wasn't the story it, it wasn't the character it, it was purely the way it was presented the the having those diary entries exactly the same you know here's the date weight whatever cigarette smoked you know a glass of wine drunk it just I found it really formulaic in print but much, much smoother and much more natural on, on screen. So, you know, I, I found Adrian Mole exactly the same. I, I loved the character of Adrian Mole and the whole setup and the, the story and the gags, but the diary, I, I think it's just diary formats I can't read. I've never heard anyone say that before. I think that's really, really interesting. Um, I was talking to someone the other day about... Um, letters versus diaries. Now I'm going to attempt to say a word that I struggle to say out loud, the epistolary novel. I had to do that quite slowly. But how the nature of letters is you've got to tell someone something exciting. You know, every every letter writer is a storyteller. Mm-hmm. But a diary in a book, you know, well, I mean, I'm the opposite in that I just, I love a diary because it feels very nosy and very voyeuristic, but there's nothing about a diary format that compels a real or imaginary person to be interesting. No, definitely. And I think, I think diary entries 
held within the, the narrative of a novel work really well. Um, but it's the it's the repetitive nature, I suppose, of here's another diary entry. They, they all have the same shape, don't they? It's the same, the same shapes, short story. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to think of a, a diary. I like I, I like memoir very much. Um, I'm trying to think if Down and Out in Paris and London, which is one of my favourite books and is technically a diary, whether it's written in diary form, but I don't think it is. I think it's a, I think it's chapters with a, a, a sort of a rough diary calendar to it, but it's not dear diary day after day. When did you read that? When did you sort of find that book for the first time? I was 17 and I was going off to live in Paris, not from London. I was going from the home counties, which isn't quite such a dramatic title. Um, uh, and I, my uncle gave it to me and said, and it was his old copy. So again, it's a, a, a kind of battered old paperback with a ripped cover. And he said, oh, you should read this. It's, it's really good. And I absolutely loved it. it it's quite flawed the um it, it it dips off quite quite a lot in the second half so the first the first half when he's in paris is just exquisite and all the detail about wa- um working in the kitchens of these revolting restaurants with cockroaches and the the grease on top of the food it's really it's, it's really vile um and absolutely brilliant and him sort of down to his his last suit that's all really good when he comes to um london it's less it's less engaging i think um uh, i think a good editor might have got him to sort the pace out a little bit but i really loved it and i started writing i actually started writing my first novel when i was living in paris then i had a a fairly horrific uh, gap year in paris where lots of things went wrong i was working in a, a hotel which wasn't exactly a hotel and turned out to be a not particularly pleasant place where people rented rooms by the hour instead of by the night but it took me quite a long time to realize that (laughs) having been brought up on a diet of faulty towers where people you know lived in hotels the the major and the old ladies so the fact that these people lived in in this hotel was um seemed completely normal and so i started writing my sort of um I don't know, uh, my homage, I suppose, to Down and Out in Paris and and London, um, which I'd called, had a working title of Baguettes and Brothels. um, And I I honestly thought it was going to be completely brilliant. And I'm glad now that I've got no idea where the floppy disks um, that housed that novel are, because uh, I'm fairly certain it it would not be published. How did that come about? Did you just, you know, I mean who does not do this when they're sort of 17 or 18 think oh how wonderful it would be to spend a year in Paris before I start university or start the rest of my life or whatever was it just that kind of impulse was there anything more specific yeah no it 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 was I mean I loved I loved French and I loved France and I was desperate to go and um it was really it was back in the time when people weren't really taking gap years so it was quite a big deal to to go off to another country it wasn't like now where you just go off backpacking and you know email every few days so my parents said well look you've you've got to you know do it safely and we went through an agency I mean it's ridiculous now I, I I look back because we went through an agency that was advertised in some 
random magazine about working abroad, we knew nothing about them, um, gave them money to find me a placement in, a, um, in the hospitality industry. Uh, and I was supposed to be paid um, sort of pocket money um, once a week and be given my accommodation and meals. Um, and none of it, none of it happened at all. It was awful. And I, I ended up, I, I mean, I lived on, on baguettes. I, I had no, no food at all, no money. I was far too proud to call my parents to say, look, this is just, this has gone badly wrong. You know, the, the, the sorts of clientele in this hotel are really not what you, where you, you'd want me to be um, living. Uh, so it, it went very badly wrong, and I—it's uh, a story for another time. Um, but it involved the police um, and a court case and uh, all sorts of things. By the end, um, and writing was my way of of taking control of a situation about which I had absolutely no control. Um, you know, I was living in. A room where um, there was no there was no electricity. I was in one of the hotel rooms, and my electricity had fused, and they wouldn't fix it or couldn't fix it. So it was completely dark, and in the middle of the night, very drunk, very uh, not very nice men would try and get in my room. Um, you know, it, it, this was not it was not a nice environment, and so I was writing. I was writing my way through this, having read down and out in Paris and London and feeling a certain amount of affinity with our protagonist. And so if I wrote my story, I could fictionalize it and create the sort of year that I had expected to have in Paris. Your son now, is he starting to kind of read at all beyond YA and choose things for himself and sort of find a wealth of writers? Or is he... Are you still having conversations about books that sort of define what he reads? We, yeah, well, both. Um, so he finds a lot himself. He's got a great English teacher who um, is recommending books all the time. And so he's just, he's just started reading um, The Curious Incident because his English teacher said, this is a really great book, you know, you, you should read that. Um, so he's reading that and I have just given him um, a book that I'm going to have to check that I've got such an appalling memory as you probably already worked out. I read a YA book. I don't read very much YA at all. I want to say it's called Fire or Lit. It's about it's about a, a boy who takes a um, pipe bomb to school and it's phenomenal. I mean, it absolutely blew me away god this is really going to annoy me if I can't I'm going to have to look in my other this is why I have to keep a, a journal do you write down what you read I do I've just started doing that because otherwise I do forget I, I can't I can't find um uh, this this book but it's brilliant anyway um so I and when I'd finished reading it um and isn't it ridiculous because I know who the agent is and I cannot remember the title um when I finished reading it, I, I said to my son, you, you have to read this now because I need to talk to someone about it. Um, and, uh, and I need you to be that person. So I'm quite looking forward to having that conversation. But I, I write things, I write down the titles now because I, uh, because I forget so easily. I really struggle to remember exactly what it was I liked about something. I need that little prompt. Um, but also because I find it useful if someone says can you recommend some books and it might it might be a friend or a book club or it might be a magazine 
then actually I can go straight to my journal and I know the sorts of books that you know that, that they're going to like but I write some terrible things in it about the books that I didn't like I would be mortified if, if anyone found these these diaries um I'd be absolutely horrified you have a burn book <laughs> yeah I do it's my yeah um I say I say horrific things I shall I shall tell you um so I say nice things like uh, oh, I found it. That but isn't that amazing? I opened up my journal at exactly the right page. It's called Last Lesson. It's not called Fire at All or Burn. Um, Last Lesson by James Goodhand, and I've just written devastatingly brilliant. But I've also I also write things um, like completely missed the mark against other people's and shallow characterization and effort to read which is why I could never ever um take these out of the house in case I lost them <gasps> I'm sure you've had this thought before but I think that'd be amazing talking about you know with them being police notebooks sort of you know a swap and they get dropped and there's a confusion and all of these because I I mean my worst habit I think is especially if I've been sent something that's very 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 hyped and it's a sort of almost like a reverse emperor's new clothes or something. And I'm like, am I insane? Or is this bad? I don't think this is good at all, but everyone else says it's wonderful. Yes, that's, I, I find that really, really hard. And I'm very, very strict about saying nice things. I flatly refuse to quote on a book that is just okay. Uh, you know, I, I think it is disingenuous to give my name to something that that I don't really think is brilliant um, and I read a lot of good books and I read a lot of very good books and I quote on the very 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 good books you know that those ones that really made a mark but yeah quite often I um, I will read something that lots of people have loved or or said that they've loved and and I just think what where what where, where is the big thing what am I missing um a little bit like when you read a book that is supposed to have a twist and you think well there isn't a twist and the reason there isn't a twist for you is because you just saw that right from the start and so that there was no big reveal but I guess that's the beauty of, of books they are so subjective I did I think my English teacher when I was at secondary school said that the thing she loved about what she did and about reading was it's for everyone and you can come in at any level. With something like maths, the number of people who can enjoy that, is, that's limited. There are only so many points of entry. Whereas, you know, reading, there's a book for everyone and there's a person for every book. There's always someone you can get something out of it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I think that's brilliant. I did a quick read recently and so have done quite a lot of um, prison visits and um, talking to a lot of people for whom reading hasn't felt very accessible um, and I've really loved that because I think it's a really important reminder of the majority of people that live outside of this little bubble where you read five books a week. But I do think that we are at a point where some of us are reading a lot more than before for some of us it's really 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 hard to switch off from the world and to read something that isn't the news on our phone what books would you want to gently place in the hands of someone who wants to fall back in love with reading again but is struggling at the moment the quick reads without a without a doubt I was looking at them this morning so that's this this lot of uh, you know the latest batch of of quick reads so there's a um there's a really 
a really kind of hard bitten crime uh, novella by A.A. Dand, um, which is perfect, I think, for people that love perhaps love crime normally, but just don't have the capacity to focus. I and mean, I'm really struggling to focus. And then, you know, Millie Johnson and short stories by J.J. Moyes and something by Candice Carty-Williams. They're so, so brilliant. And they're so accessible and straightforward without being patronising. I read my first quick read when I had just had twins and was really struggling to concentrate and couldn't read and didn't have the time or the kind of mental capacity to focus on more than a few characters. And I read uh, a quick read that I got from the library. And it was just brilliant because I had the same, had that sense of accomplishment of having finished a novel without the 450 pages. Um, but the other novel that I would press into people's hands um, at the moment is um, one of my favourites, which is Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, which is so tiny. And I knew it was a small book. And then I got it off my shelves um, this morning and uh, thought, oh, how many pages is it exactly? Uh, and it's not even 100. It's 95 pages long. It's nothing. And there's so much in that story. There's so much loyalty and love and and passion in such a simple story um and i think that would that's a really good one to press in people's hands as well at the moment huge thanks to claire after the end is out now in paperback and it makes perfect lockdown reading it's uplifting hopeful and beautifully written and it's a book about remembering to see the best in people which doesn't always feel easy at the moment i'm daisy buchanan thank you so much for listening your Book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. Follow us on social media at Whitebooked. I hope you're all keeping as safe and sane and well and cheerful as possible. Do keep reading and we'll see you next time. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.